Latter-day Liberty Podcast, Episode 23. Hello and welcome back to the Latter-day Liberty Podcast with your hosts, Matt Kent and Daryl Portsline. This is a podcast where we are here to awaken the inner libertarian of every Latter-day Saint. It's going to be amazing. You guys are awesome. Okay, um, today we are Good talking. Intro, Matt. I know, right? Isn't that pretty awesome? I was pulling faces out. You're trying to make you laugh through that. You did well. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it was a little difficult. But um, let's see. Okay, so today we are talking about the non-aggression principle or the NAP. You might hear um, libertarians talk about this. Um, so non-aggression principle. Um, Daryl, how about you define that for us real quick? Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> and I'm putting on your spot. This. Here we go. Um, so non-aggression principle, I guess it, it's really just in the name. It's, it's the idea that aggression is bad and so you shouldn't do it. <laughs> so aggression is defined often as the initiation of force or the initiation of violence. Um, right. So if you're an aggressor, of course, you're the one that initiated that violence. If, if you're defending yourself against that violence, then you're not an aggressor. Um, even though you might use force or violence to defend yourself, you weren't the one who started it, so you're not you're not the aggressor. So the non-aggression principle basically just says that the aggressor, uh, in any violent situation, the aggressor is in the wrong. So ideally, you know, the libertarian ideal is that nobody aggresses against anyone else's per- person or or property, essentially. Nice. Yeah. Perfect. And that's exactly right. Um, and that's so as as Daryl said though, it that doesn't mean that. Um, that there is no violence. And this is something that I actually, when I first got into libertarianism and started looking this stuff up and reading more, and I was like, you know, I really was, I felt like, you know, no violence. That's what we want is we want no violence. And, and ultimately, I guess that that is what we would want. Um, but um, that isn't always, um, that isn't always um, possible, right? So defending yeah, yourself- there's always gonna be, there are always gonna be bad actors in society, right? right? At least in our imperfect state currently. Um, So um, we, we are, you know, libertarians believe that, that you're justified in defending yourself. Now, whether you choose to defend yourself or not might be, might be a matter of your own, you know, moral belief system. It also might be a matter of practicality, right? I mean, if you have a, 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 totalitarian government that's aggressing against you, you might choose to not defend yourself because you might figure it's better for your family if you don't. So libertarians are not saying anything about whether you should or shouldn't defend yourself, but just that you are justified in doing so if you choose to. Right. Um, but they're definitely not libertarianism or libertarians are not pacifists or you don't have to be a pacifist to be libertarian. So there are some pacifist libertarians though. And um, um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of different, you know, approaches you can take, but the, the liber- really the only libertarian position is non-aggression. Exactly. And that's exactly right. So if you get into with, with that, um, with the non-aggression principle and that, one of the things that comes up for me quite often is, is war, right? So if you talk about n- not aggressing against others, then there is, there is um, a case to be made for war, fighting in a war, um, if it is in defense, right? So you're not the aggressor. And with that, I can't help but think of our current uh, military efforts around the world and wondering, you know, well, are we justified in being in these wars? Because um, where are these wars, right? 
I don't have, I don't, I'm not in fear of, of being in the middle of a war here at home in Utah. Um, but that doesn't, there are, there are wars happening. There are, there are, uh, there is confrontation happening. So is that defensive though? And so I don't know. What, what do you think, Daryl? If, if I were to ask you, are our, are our current military efforts defensive? What would you say? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people think they are. I mean, I, I hear a lot of justifications for why our military is stationed all across the globe and occupying all kinds of places and dropping bombs everywhere. And I don't know what the latest <laughs> numbers are, but I know like every president for the last few has like dropped more bombs than the last one. You know, <laughs> they're like, it's almost like they're uh, trying to outdo the the previous one or something. Right. Um, and uh, I mean, I just, I have trouble seeing the connection between defending us here at home and dropping 40,000 bombs or whatever it is um, uh, in foreign countries. Now, uh, certainly there have been aggressions against the, you know, the United States um, people, the, the, the government. Um, there, there was, you know, obviously 9-11 is one that we talk about a lot. Um, there have been aggressions. Um, I don't know that they justify the amount of, I guess, military sprawl that we have across the world. So I think what I really, I mean, obviously I try to apply the Book of Mormon to as many things as I can, because that's what it's there for. And um, I think, you know, my reading of the Book of Mormon kind of the, the righteous Nephites and their defensive wars look a lot different than the wars we have going on today. And so it makes me, definitely makes me feel like maybe our defensive posture should look a little bit more like the righteous Nephites defensive posture did rather than, you know, spread across the globe, you know, military spread across the globe, bases everywhere, dropping bombs everywhere, occupying different countries. Um, you know, the Nephites didn't do any of that. So um, anyway, I'd like to get into that a little bit yeah, and, great. Uh, and that's see a great, if we can draw some parallels. And that's a great uh, place. Great segue right into that. How about you? Uh, what, Give a give a give a good example of of what you would think of as a, like a righteous Nephite war and how they participated in it. Yeah, sure. Um, so uh, one of the examples that I ha- was thinking of as I was thinking about this topic before we jumped on um, was was the people of Ammon, uh, the the anti Nephite Lehi's, um, and this this is a group that of course were Lamanites and they were aggressive for a long time. They were aggressors. They were violating the the non-aggression principle for a long time. They were aggressing against the Nephites. They were murdering and plundering. And then they converted to the gospel through um, the efforts of Ammon and his, uh, and his brethren. And um, they actually end up becoming pacifists. So we talked about how libertarians don't have to be pacifists to still be libertarians. But the, these, these guys actually decided that they had killed and, and plundered so much that they just wanted to completely renounce all violence. They didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were, they were concerned that if they, if they even used defensive force again, that they might kind of fall back into their old ways, right? They might become aggressors again. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted to, and I think that's a really good, I mean, that makes sense, right? If you are already, guilty of a lot of these things and you're trying to change so a lot of times the the right decision is to stay as far away from that thing as you can right so you know just like if i have a, a sugar addiction which 
maybe I do. Um, <laughs> no know, judgment. No judgment. If I if I keep all the if I keep tons of sweets in my house all the time, I mean, there's nothing morally wrong with keeping sweets in my house, but I might choose not to do it just because I don't necessarily trust my own willpower to stay away from them. So I might just get them out of my house completely, right? And I think that's what these guys were doing. They said, let's bury our weapons. If we even have weapons or even try to defend ourselves, we're, we're afraid we're going to fall back into our old habits. So let's just stay out of it altogether. So they actually let, um, you know, there are several different parts in, in the Book of Mormon where they actually let aggressive Lamanite armies come in and, and kill thousands of them. And uh, they chose not to defend themselves because it was more important to them to not become, not become an aggressive people again. Um, and so they, they let themselves be killed and the Nephites end up helping defend them. Um, and they hadn't taken that particular kind of oath and they were okay defending themselves. And so the Nephites were righteous too, right? So the pacifists weren't more righteous necessarily. They just had chosen and made a covenant to uh, protect themselves from, from themselves, right? Um, uh, but then the Nephites were also righteous and were using defensive force to defend uh, the people of Ammon as well as themselves from Lamanite aggression. Yeah, and I think this is a great um, example, actually, of, uh, of defensive war as well, because, uh, well, defensive military um, in the first place, because when they, when they end up coming and they join the Nephites, right? The, the Nephites make room for them. They let them, they let them move in. Um, into an, an area, Jershon. Um, and after that, they, they tell them, okay, we're, we will protect you. We'll surround you with our armies if you will voluntarily give us of your substance, right? Like, so give us kind of a, a voluntary tax, I would say, where, you know, they knew where that money was going. They knew why it was there. We will protect you, but we need help. Um, uh, in, we need you to subsidize <laughs> this this army that will that will protect you, and they did end up protecting them. And uh, I loved that as an example as well. They they came in and they gave them they gave them uh, some uh, gave them some of their their uh, substance and that, and they were able to hold this army um, because of that. So yeah, and isn't it nice that the Nephites gave them a choice? Right. They <laughs> told them, hey, if we're going to defend you, we're going to need some some money or some goods from you to help maintain our armies. Is that okay with you? And that was a negotiation. They agreed to that, right? It was a, it's a contract, if you will, right? I don't know if they actually signed anything, but, but, you know, there was an agreement there that, that they, that they would help support these armies that were defending them. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I certainly didn't agree for the U S military to defend me. And I didn't agree to how much money I was going to pay into that system, right? This is all just being done uh, without my consent. So, uh, you know, I think consent is a, is a, that's a nice little, uh, principle in there as well. Right. And that's, and that's one of the things that, um, as far as the defense, like I'm, I am more than willing to pay for our military to, to defend me. Um, I don't believe that that defense is best, um, done in other countries. I think defending, you know, and that's one of the things I would, I would point out as I, as I read through the book of Mormon, one thing I do notice about all of the righteous wars, the defensive wars, you know it's a defensive war because it's on Nephite land. And that's where, to me, I feel like that's a pretty good, to me, I think that's a pretty good gauge as far as like, you know, yep, I, I can look at that war and think, yep, that was defensive because, hey, it was fought in on our land, right? So I think right. that's a great, if the military, if the Nephite military had told the anti-Nephite Lehi's, 
you know, pay for our army and we will defend you. And then they start going, taking that army, taking that money and then going and doing excursions out, you know, to suppress other people or whatever, um, or overthrow governments or, you know, put a new person in charge that they want. Um, I, I think that those anti-Nephi Lehi's would have probably very quickly been like, yeah, never mind. This isn't the, de- <laughs> we don't count this as defense. So yeah, this isn't what we signed up for. Right. right. And since they voluntarily agreed to provide support to these armies for, to defend them, as soon as those armies started doing things that were not just purely defense, then, uh, you know, I think they would have with- withdrawn that support. Yep. Nice. Well, that's a great so example. Another, another story that I like on um, just kind of, yeah, the topic of war in general and, and defensive war um, is uh, Moroni and Zarahemna. So these are the two leaders, Moroni being the leader of the Nephite army and Zarahemna, the leader of the Lamanite army. And the Lamanite army is clearly the aggressor here. Um, this story kind of starts around Alma 43. Um, but uh, long story short, the the Nephites are starting to win this battle and they kind of um, they're, they're slaughtering the, the, the Lamanites, essentially they're, they're clearly winning and uh, Moroni commands them to, to back off a little bit and uh, stop killing them. And Moroni ends up kind of having this dialogue and, and saying, Hey, if you will throw down your weapons of war, you know, give up your weapons and, promise that you will stop coming and trying to attack us, stop aggressing against us, then we will let you go. Um, and uh, they, at first they choose not to, so the battle resumes, and then eventually they, they finally do, um, and, and the Mar- Moroni's armies are able to defeat them. Um, and, but yeah, it's just, again, interesting that uh, Moroni obviously didn't have any desire to take over Lamanite land, no desire to occupy Lamanite land. No, um, if, if they, all he wanted was for them to say, we will not come back and try to kill you again. Um, and, and uh, the, so the, again, the Nephites were, were in a very defensive position there, not wanting to continue killing them. They only wanted the Lamanites to leave them alone, essentially. Right, right, exactly. And that's, so this is one of those, um, this actually, there's, there's quite a few things in here that I would love to unpack a little bit um, that, that I find very interesting with this. And the first, the first one I'll mention is, first off, like you said, Moroni, this is something that he points out right to Zarahemna. Like he explicitly says, we would not um, be fighting against you. We would not be shedding your blood if you would leave us alone. If you wouldn't, you know, if you were not here, we we're not seeking to power over you or anything, but that's exactly why you're here against us. I like that. Um, a second thing I would point out is that in all of the Nephite um, uh, wars and, the, and their skirmishes and, and their battles and that, uh, w- one thing that I do recognize and I, I, that I have seen is that, and they mentioned explicitly in one, in one spot in the, in the Book of Mormon, but it talks about the fact that when the Nephites are, are fighting a defensive war, they're usually, in many cases, I, I, I think it's in most cases, they're usually outnumbered by the Lamanites, and yet they can win. And it talks about the fact that the reason for that is because they're blessed by God and they are, they're fighting for their lives, for their liberty, for their wives and their lands and all this. You know, They're fought, fighting for a just cause, and I think God can get behind that and, and support them in that. And you watch them, it, and it, 
it is explicit in quite a few of the battles where it mentions they were outnumbered almost by double, and yet they still beat them and they, they drive them out of their lands. Um, that's the second thing I, I, I notice. And the third thing I will mention is that this is one of the things I love about Moroni. Moroni is actually one of my heroes of the Book of Mormon. He was for a while, and then he wasn't for a little bit, and then he was again. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is because um, in, the, in there, you also find a part where it, it almost seems like he's doing uh, like what we have with a military draft. And if anybody knows me at all, I... I think that that's slavery. I, I don't love the military draft at all. I think that that's something that should be done away with. Um, but it looks like Moroni uh, in, enforces a military draft. And in my reading, I think that I've got a pretty good case as, as to why that is not the case. It, it is not what we have now. And, um, but, you know, that can be a different day. But, but that's the, the, yet another thing that I love about Moroni is that he is not after blood. He's not, he's not. He wasn't looking to wipe out all the Lamanites so that he could go back to his, you know, you know, hurrah, hurrah, you know, look at us, we are awesome type of a thing. He didn't want to kill any of them. He wanted to let them go. He wanted to let as many go as he as he could. He didn't want to to kill them all. And and you'll find this in other places in the Book of Mormon where he it's not what he's looking for. He gets a bunch of Lamanites drunk at one point and he arms all the prisoners that they're guarding, you know, in the side yep. and then they surround them out inside and out. And, uh, and it talks about like, you know, as they're getting weapons into them, you know, it could have woken them up, but even if they had, they were drunk and he could have killed them, but that's not what he wanted to do. And, it, and it's very explicit about that's not what he was after. He wasn't after just, just to kill anybody. He just wanted to, to end this war anyways. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. Um, uh, there's a couple, there's a couple more and, and, you know, I mean, we don't need to, uh, look at all of them. The, the, the Book of Mormon is just full of these examples. So I think, you know, next time, you know, in, any of you that are listening or reading the Book of Mormon, I think if you just kind of keep some of these ideas in mind, keep the non-aggression principle in mind, um, and kind of look at how some of these wars play out, where these battles are fought, like you said, a lot of times if it's a defensive war, it's going to be fought on or near the defender's land, right? Um, it's not, you know, the, the, the Nephites are not in Lamanite territory, slaughtering Lamanites or occupying their land or anything like that. Um, another example is a Malachiah. So Malachiah, of course, is stirring the Lamanites up against the Nephites. The Lamanites are kind of, you know, sometimes the Lamanites don't really want to go to war, but they are often, uh, uh, um, dissenters from the Nephites often are able to like stir them up to, go attack the Nephites. Um, and uh, Amalickiah stirs them up to go attack uh, the Nephites. And um, he, it says he inspires their hearts against the Nephites in chapter uh, Alma, chapter 48. Um, but he, it says that his goal is to overpower the Nephites and bring them into bondage. So again, obviously he's, he's the aggressor here. Um, and, and we know, you know, from, from the scriptures that, that he's obviously uh, not representing the, you know, the righteous side of this, of this conflict. So here, you know, that's another example of a, of a aggressive, um, aggressive enemy and the righteous people are, are not the aggressors. Um, yeah. And actually, can I, one of my, yeah, go can ahead. I throw yeah, something in there for that? Malachi, this is something else that, um, <laughs> and this, this, I don't know. This, this is a point that's not necessarily directly related to um, being the aggressor or not, but I will say this. Amalickiah, he, how he gets into power is that he goes to the Lamanite king 
right? He goes to Lamanite King, tries to convince him, and Lamanite King's like, heck yeah, we got to go against, you know, against them. How he gets into power is most of the Lamanites are like, heck no, we don't want this. We don't want to do this. And right. they, enough so that they're willing to leave. And they, he gets ahead, gets in with them, comes back and he takes over. Anyways, so it's, it's a lot of it, like a lot of problems or he stirs up a lot of crap. But the first thing he does when he's made king is he starts to stir up the Lamanites against the Nephites. And the reason he does that is because he knows if he just gives a command like the last king did, it's not going to go anywhere. And this is a point that I really would love for, um, for all of us to keep in mind. But just that idea that our, our government can't initiate violence in places or initiate war. They can't have these um, military actions, uh, aggressive military actions, without con- the consent of the people. Like, and, and it's not just, you know, that we're all, all for it, but we really do need to raise our voices against it to actually see these things stop. So that's, that's just one of the side notes. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. A lot of the consent that the government has right now is, is passive consent, right. Is just, you know, complacency, I guess, or, or just, or not knowing what's going on or just kind of, you know, figuring that, you know, well, the president and the military, they, they probably know what they're doing, you know, we'll just let them do their thing. Um, So of course, you know, being, informed enough about what's going on, what our military is doing and, and whether we really, whether this is really something we should be supporting or not, I think is, is important. And I'm, I'm always back and forth on this because sometimes, you know, the more I get into like following current events, the more depressed I get. And then I just <laughs> want to get, and then I just have to like get out of it for a while and like yeah. recover. Yeah. Um, but I think there is some, at least some responsibility for us to, yeah, be in, be involved and informed enough to, to, like you said, uh, be able to speak out against it when when there are some maybe unjustified wars or or violence going on. Yeah. Um. I found uh in verse fourteen I, there I just wanted to read Alma forty eight verse fourteen. It says uh, now the Nephites were taught to defend themselves against their enemies, even to the shedding of blood if it were necessary. So non aggression principle, right? Um. Yea, and they were also taught never to give an offense. Yea, never to raise the sword, except it were against an enemy, except it were to preserve their lives. Yes. So if you are, if your life is like literally in danger, and if there is an enemy, you know, an an imminent threat, that's when they felt justified in raising their sword, right? But if it was uh, otherwise, that's, they, 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 uh, they kept it, kept them put away right they, they didn't they did not raise the sword unless it was against an enemy so right. a, again that's that's a i mean i think you know wars we, we talk about you know a lot wars are very um uh messy right there it's sometimes even hard to tell like who your enemies are who, who your friends are yeah um there, there's a lot of you know a battlefield is obviously a, a crazy place and and innocent people do get killed a lot in war um uh, and uh, like all these bombs we drop, you know, <laughs> like we talked about the, all the bombs that the American military dr- has been dropping. I mean, a lot of those kill other people besides the intended target, right? So right. there, there's a lot of collateral damage going on here. And and again, we're, ta- we're we're using different weapons. It's a different time, but is that in the same principle as never raising the sword except it was against an enemy? You know, I I don't think so. I don't think it would have been. I don't think it would have been justified. I don't think Moroni would have led an army to just wipe out a whole city to kill one bad guy. You know, right. uh, you know, if they couldn't get in and and get the one bad guy that was trying to kill them, then they probably would have just said, you know, not worth it. We're not going to kill a bunch of 
you know, innocent people or at least, um, you know, bystanders in this conflict. We're just gonna, we're gonna stay out of it. And if that, if that guy, you know, aggresses against us, we'll defend ourselves, but we're not going to go in there and, and kill innocent people just to try to get one guilty person. Yep. Nice. Yeah. And I, I love that because if, if, if the rationale that we are using, if the defense of what we are doing is that, Hey, this person kills innocent people and they're aggressing against innocent people. So we need to stop them to the point that we need, we need to kill them. I don't think that it makes sense for us to use that same method <laughs> to kill them, you know, to kill innocent people. So yeah, I think we kind of lose the moral, moral high ground at that point. Right. Yep. And, and again, at, at the end of the Book of Mormon, when we, when we were talking before we started recording, you were mentioning to me at, you know, kind of the end of the Book of Mormon, the demise of the Nephites and kind of how that goes down. Um, they, at some, you know, at some point they kind of tip, they kind of tip the other way and they lose the support of, you know, they lose the support of God and God is no longer behind what they're doing because they're not in it for righteous reasons anymore. They're not defending themselves anymore. They're aggressing now. And so, you know, God's support withdraws and they're left to their own and, and they're on their own power. They're still able to uh, win a few battles. Eventually they end up losing and, and getting wiped out. But uh, yeah, we, we don't want to be in the position of losing the moral high ground because that's when we lose the support and that's when we're kind of left, left on our own. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great it's a great point, and that's one of the things that I um it, I, I was noticing when I was reading in that chapter again um, as well that when Mormon when Mormon mentions that the Nephites are losing ground in that that they're losing the battle in that he specifically just says because there's more Lamanites than there because there were more Lamanites than there were Nephites, but there's all these other incidences or all these other um, examples in the Book of Mormon where they are, he's very explicit as well. They were outnumbered by almost double, you know, like they're outnumbered, they're outnumbered. Um, and they, they did just fine. But, and then he's very quick to point out, you know, they didn't have, the spirit had ceased striving with them. They were left to their own strength. And because there were more Lamanites, then they were, they were wiped out. So yeah, you lose, yeah. you lose God's support. Right. Yeah. So Alma 61, um, this is kind of the whole Kingman story with Pahoran and um, the, the, the Kingmen kind of rise up against, against the, the rest of the Nephites and take over Zarahemla and end up uh, being in league with the, the Lamanites. And it, anyway, it's, it's all a big mess and, and there's a lot to the story. Um, obviously the Kingmen are aggressing against their, their brethren. Um, but there's there's an interesting couple verses in here I wanted to read. Alma 61, 10 through 12 says, And now, behold, we will resist wickedness even unto bloodshed. We would not shed the blood of the Lamanites if they would stay in their own land. We would not shed the blood of our brethren if they would not rise up in rebellion and take the sword against us. We would We would subject ourselves to the yoke of bondage if it were requisite with the justice of God or if he should command us to do so. Um, that's one thing I wanted to hit on just briefly is that ultimately that's the, that's the gold standard, right? That's what we should be striving for is what God tells us to do. So, um, you know, we, uh, go all the way back to Nephi at the beginning of the book of Mormon who kills Laban and it's not particularly defensive in the sense that Laban wasn't about to kill him. Right. Um, he was drunk. He was not in any position to kill Nephi. Um, God commands Nephi to kill Laban and, and Nephi struggles with that because he's been taught to be righteous. He's been taught to only use violence to defend himself. Um, but I think the most important thing is to 
um, you know, do what, do what God commands you to, of course. And so um, they're saying here that, you know, if, if God wants us to be taken into bondage instead of defending ourselves, we would do that. But that is not what he's commanding us to do right now. It goes on to say, and, and he does uh, think we are justified in defending ourselves. And so we're going to defend ourselves. Um, so, yeah, I, I, again, um, if, if we, if our leaders are men of God and are, um, you know, listening to this, to the spirit and doing what God wants us to do, you know, that's obviously the best way to stay on the right side of these wars and make sure that we are, are using justified force. Um, you know, uh, obviously that's not always the situation we're in. We can't always, we don't always have, you know, prophets that are also our military leaders, um, like the Nephites sometimes did. Um, and so, you know, it, but it definitely seems like across the Book of Mormon, the, the recurring theme is that if it's a righteous people, they're only, they're only defending themselves. And, and it, like it says, if they would stay in their own land, we would not shed their blood. So right. again, back to what you said about, you know, where are these wars being fought, right? If they're being fought in foreign lands, it's already a little iffy as to whether that's really a defensive fight. Right. No, and that's, that's great. And so I know there's a, a ton of other examples we, we could give. Um, if you're okay, I, I'll, I'd like to probably just yeah. end with this. Um, this is kind of our, uh, I don't know, this is going to be a great example, I think. Um, so backstory on this is just to make sure everybody knows where I'm at. But in the, in the Book of Mormon, before Christ comes, there are, um, you know, it's kind of a back and forth thing. The, the, the Nephites are, are wicked, then they're, then they're righteous, then they're wicked again and all this stuff. But during this time, the Gadianton robbers are starting to, to become more and more powerful. Um, there's more and more people descending into, uh, into that group and they're, they're up in the mountains and all this. Um, and they can't, they can't get them out. <clears throat> and so at one point, then the, um, the leader of this band, the Gadianton robbers, he sends a, a letter to the leader of the Nephites. His name is Laconius. So he gets, Laconius gets this letter from, um, I believe it's Gideonhi is the name of the, the Gadianton. Anyways, lots of names going on here. Anyways, Gadianton robber leader sends it to the Nephite leader and tells him, you need to give us um, our right to the, to the um, government to rule over you guys and give us the land. Um, if you do, then you'll be fine. If not, we're going to come down and, and wipe you out because, you know, we've had all these wrongs or whatever. And he tells them, you got to give this to us. Well, Laconius is having none of it. So they decide, and Laconius is, is righteous at this time. And this is, um, well, I say at this time. They ha the Nephites have a righteous leader at this time in Laconius. Laconius is righteous. And he, he tells, the, he gets, you know, turns on the whole, like, we got to repent get everybody in, in one place. We're going to gather everybody uh, together. And in this process, he, he appoints um, chief captains and, or captains over the armies in that. And the, the chief captain, the chief of the chiefest, let me, let me see. So in, in 35, chapter three, verse 18, um, I'm just going to start reading through here. And it says, now the chiefest among all the chief captains and the great commander of all the armies of the Nephites was appointed. And his name was Gidgadoni. Now Mormon goes into uh, specifically to describe what kind of lever, leaders they have at different times. And he says, now it came to, now it was the custom among all the Nephites to appoint for their chief captains, save it were in their times of wickedness, someone that had the spirit of revelation and also some prophecy. Therefore, this Gidgadoni was a great prophet among them and also was the chief judge. 
So Laconius and Gedoni are both considered to be um, uh, very um, strong in revelation and prophecy, strong with the Spirit. And this is where it gets awesome. So in verses 20 and 21, it says, Now the people said unto Gidgadoni, Pray unto the Lord and let us go up upon the mountains and into the wilderness, that we may fall upon the robbers and destroy them in their own lands. But Gidgadoni saith unto them, The Lord forbid. For if we should go up against them, the Lord would deliver us into their hands. Therefore we will prepare ourselves in the center of our land, in the center of our lands, and we will gather all our armies together, and we will not go against them, but we will wait till they come again, till they shall come against us. Therefore, as the Lord liveth, if we do this, he will deliver them into our hands. Um, so there's a great example of literally the, the people wanted to go be the aggressors, right? And this is for a group that, against a group that had already threatened. They've already sent the letter and threat, they've given a threatening, uh, or they've threatened um, to come down and attack the Nephites. And even with that, um, Gidgadona is like, nope, um, God is, God is, is telling us that we need to, we need to, um, uh, centralize ourselves and get all in one place and wait till they come against us and he will deliver them into our hands. And I, I really appreciated that. I thought that was a, just a great example of, of not, uh, a non-aggressive and very much defensive war. Yeah, that that's that's obviously the the probably the best example out of all these. We probably could have just skipped straight to that one and <laughs> uh, and called it a day. But but yeah, I I mean it. There's these decisions are probably not not always very easy to make, right? And so it took a guy like Gid Gadoni, who was very close to the spirit and understood, you know, and and had revelation to to listen to the spirit and, and realize that, you know, even in this situation, I've got a lot of reasons and there probably were people making some really good arguments to him about why they were justified in going into the, the land of that the robbers were occupying and, and wiping them out because they had constantly been the aggressors, right? Constantly coming down to battle against the Nephites, constantly trying to kill them and take over. And so there, there probably were a lot of really good reasons why it seemed justified to go up and fight them in their own lands. But ultimately, um, Gidgadoni was able to, you know, be sensitive enough to the spirit to realize that that was not the right decision and that God would not stand behind them if they if they did that. And if they became the aggressors, they would lose that support, which would ultimately lose them the, the battle instead of instead of winning it. So, um, again, like, you know, as I mentioned earlier, the most important thing is to is to listen to the spirit, you know, do, do what God wants you to do. But uh, it is interesting how it seems that, you know, more often than not, um, God wants you to follow the non-aggression principle, essentially, and and not not aggress against your neighbor, not aggress against other people. And um, if they are leaving you alone, and then you don't, you know, you leave them alone kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, I, I think there's some good takeaways for our our modern modern life there, right? That, um, that uh, you know, should should we centralize our armies within our own lands and defend our actual land? Like, should we have a defensive posture with our military rather than a, a more offensive posture? I think that we have today. Yeah, and it's a great point. I, uh, yeah, I love all of that. I think that that's. Um, I, I I don't know. I've got a ton of things just that 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 brings up for me because if you look at, I know we mentioned, you know, the last time that we've been attacked on our own soil, 
and everybody was shocked. It was 9-11, right? Everybody was shocked. They were just like, holy cow, like, wow, why, how did this happen? Why would this happen, right? And it goes, again, if you read why, like the re- their reasoning for it, again, they, their biggest thing was get out of our lands, get out of our, you know, get your military out yeah. of our lands. Like it was, it was, and I'm not saying that, um, that they were justified in doing what they did. I, I mean, it was, it was two buildings full of a bunch of innocent people. So I don't, again, that's totally out of line with the, with the non-aggression principle as well. But again, if you look at what, you know, the reasoning behind it, I think that there's only good that can come from, like you were saying, you know, bringing our military home, getting out of those other lands, stop poking the bear, um, you know, get back here and, uh, and, and keep our, our own people, our own land safe. I think that we're going to see much less of that aggression from, from other countries as well, other militaries. Yeah, aggression, aggression definitely breeds more aggression, right? That's what we're seeing with, you know, all these terrorism, all the worries about terrorism today, all the threats and actual acts of terrorism that we see. Um, you know, they say that they're justified in doing what they're doing because we were the aggressors first, but then they're the aggressors and killing innocent people. And then we go off and start the start, you know, a war in Afghanistan, which it came, you know, finally came out later that had nothing to do with 9-11. That, that, that wasn't even, that wasn't even part of, that had nothing to do with why we went to 9-11 or why we went to uh, Afghanistan, but it was a, an opportunity to, get the people's at least passive, if not active consent to go to war because everyone's really mad about this 9-11 thing. And so, you know, it, it, we, so now we're the aggressors again. And so it's just, it's going to keep going back and forth until, until some side of this, hopefully more than one side decides to, to stop the, the chain of violence, right? Somebody has to take a stand and say, even though you did this to me, I am going to, I am just going to stay here and defend myself. And if you come against me, I will do my best to defend myself. But ultimately, you know, if you wipe me out, I would rather, I would rather have the moral high ground and lose my life than continue to participate in these aggressions where I'm not in the right anymore. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, I think we should maybe take, uh, and I'm not saying that we should all be pacifists, but I think that we should take a page out of the, you know, people of Ammon's book. And, um, you know, I, if you have to choose between being an aggressor and possibly having to lay down your life, I I think it's probably better to lay down your life. Right. And that's what the people of Ammon thought. Yeah. I think it's great. And I, I, I think we'll, we'll just, end it there so yeah thank you that was a great another great episode uh, appreciate everybody being here again um and uh with that we'll um see you again next time we'll see you